Welcome to the newest episode of the Jay Davis Show. I'm super excited to have Samantha Ski here with us today. She is the CEO of She Media. Thanks for coming on the show, Samantha. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah. Well, why don't you start out? Do you want to give us just kind of a quick background? Tell us a little bit about yourself and She Media. Sure. Um, I'm the CEO of She Media. As you said, She Media is a network of uh, lifestyle websites um, and events. Uh, we focus on the passions that we all enjoy, food, parenting, health, um, home, beauty. And within the She Media network, we represent about 2,000 websites, uh, many of which are run independently by um, women, and then about seven of which we own ourselves. We own at She Media. So we have both owned and operated and represented sites. The represented sites are part of the She Media Collective, and that is our opportunity, as mentioned, to help monetize independent publishers, many of whom, again, are, are women-owned businesses. And um, our subject matter is kind of the things we love day to day, lots of service content. And our event series are about, but primarily about women's health and women's entrepreneurship. Tell us more about how you got there. Like, how did you, how, what was kind of the path to machine media for you? Well, I've, I've spent a lot of years, <laughs> um, like 25 plus years in digital media, which means like the beginning of time before Google and before Yahoo. <laughs> Before, like, I mean, Prodigy was a search engine. Um, let's see. Netscape was out and about. Uh, I mean, just some unbelievable old brands I could bring up. Like, MySpace was still 10 years from being created when I got into digital. So um, it was the 90s, and I jumped from publishing, book publishing, where I had started my career and didn't make enough to, you know, pay for anything like my my room and board. So um, I jumped to a startup really quickly um, because I simply was going to make enough money to pay my rent um, by being a, you know, Jane of all trades at a startup. Uh, that was a company called Riddler. Interactive Imaginations was the owner of this, of a multiplayer gaming site called Riddler, which ended up merging with Petri and Cats to form 24-7 Media, which um, IPO'd in the early 2000s. Um, so I jumped into digital media, ended up running the sort of following the path of marketing and um, sales, went to CNET and Disney and and then was a long term um, executive at Alloy, which was a catalog and a, an e-commerce network. We owned Delia's and several other brands um, anyway. Long, convoluted story. Short, I love digital media. I <laughs> love, love creating content for a great big web of humans, um, despite some of the sort of tragic aspects of, of quality of content and lack thereof today. It still drives me. I like the analytics. I like being able to see people in real time consuming content and responding to it. Um, I like the pace of publishing and uh, yeah. And so I wanted to, at some point, get into social good as well as um, profit. And that's when I came to what was at the time She Knows. Uh, we decided that we could do better for women um, and that we could make better, more respectful, thoughtful content that didn't sort of play to stereotypes and that we could represent independently run publishers through our collective. And in doing so, hopefully create additional independent voices um, in media. So that's when we took She Knows and it became She Media and 
that's where we are. That was long, but that's what we, that's how I landed here. It's a lot of great experience. Um, what do you think has been surprising for you? I think a lot of times, especially you've been in startups, you've been in larger companies, um, seen this transition from she knows to she media. What do you think has surprised you as you've gone through those phases about some of the challenges and, and kind of difficulties you've, you've seen as you go through the growth stages of a company, you're now the CEO of this larger uh, company. What's that been like and what have you learned? Well, I think that it um, doesn't surprise me anymore, but it's still it, 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 uh, an experience I've had that was initially surprising and is now something that we sort of have to temper in high growth companies is that you have the sometimes the team that you have that's great at rapid growth, hyperactivity, um, sort of highly entrepreneurial, agile work structure is not always the same group that's going to be great at slow incremental growth um, and maintenance and sort of building for the long term. I think I was much better at the first um, at, you know, sort of the the big push of validating a concept and building something new and then sort of producing longer term stability and uh, sustainability uh, is, you know, we all have to take sort of a deep breath and look at, look hard at um, a lot of numbers and a lot of data uh, to understand how we can, you know, increase margins, reduce costs. Um, you know, what areas to lean into that are most short-term or long-term productive for um, for the business. So, I, I think one of the challenges is that the person who's great at building and sort of, you know, pushing a boulder uphill is not always the same person um, you want leading. A company or a division or a department um, when you're at a different stage, when you're, you've already gone from like zero to a hundred million, and then you're trying to sustain and increase, you know, margin incrementally. Yeah. That's such great advice. And I think it's so timely. I think especially right now with the shift in the marketplace and the economy, these exits, exits are getting a lot harder. And so a lot of startups and brands are starting to think about how do we build for the long term. And I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs who are like, hey, I don't know that that's me. Like that, I I really liked that, like you said, that initial push, that validation. Um, for you, how do you look at that for yourself? Like, do you have like a yearly kind of reminder to like, okay, am I loving this still? Because it's easy to just get in the flow and be like, well, someone's got to do it. <laughs> and it's got to be me. I think that keeping for me, I because I am more interested often in like the grind, the building, the sort of conceiving of what we can do and then sort of fast testing and breaking things. But then, you know, the magic of seeing something work and click, um, you know, I find that really invigorating and probably, you know, can do some of my most creative work in those environments. Um, so what I've been lucky to be able to do in my career is produce even within a larger company like part of now Penske Media Corp I I have the wonderful support to create new brands or new products consistently you know certainly on an annual basis and some more often that is what I have to be careful of then is if not getting so excited about the new thing we're building that I forget or don't pay enough attention to the thing that's funding the cool new thing, <laughs> so which is maybe the more stable, less compelling 
aspect of the job. And like the, so I, I am fortunate to work in creative environments where despite being part of larger companies, I've had that, you know, the type of support that I love where I can play with inventive um, ideas. But I guess that challenge again is always to not lose yourself down the rabbit hole of the, you know, of like web three, for example. Idea. Yeah. Yeah. Or the, yeah. You know, or Bitcoin all of a sudden, or NFTs, which we haven't spoken about in a while, but we talked about a heck of a lot, <laughs> you know, and like Two not, to, yeah, not to go too, you know, to sort of be able to pull back quickly if something is a fad, not a trend, not a real indication of opportunity. And to also be sure that we are true to like the things that we, where we have permission to play versus it might just be something I'm interested in, which happens often that like there might be an area of business I'm interested in, like, you know, web three and sustainability, but it's really not part of the she media market or part of the she media business model. And so, you know, I can pursue that outside of, outside of my job, but I have to make sure I stay within the lines while and find innovative opportunities within the frame of our business so that we maintain health while also innovating. Yeah. Love that. Well, that, that kind of leads me to two really Great follow-up questions that I'd love to hear. First, how do you balance that? I think that that's something, maybe it's just me, but I personally have that challenge of because uh, for PillowQ, we're this consumer brand, we're trying to keep, you know, most of our revenue comes from the things we've already created that are already out there, but I want to keep innovating. How do you, do you have any tricks, tips on how you split up time? Do you have any things that help you kind of like there's so many fires each day I find for myself that it's really easy to just like go home and be like, I didn't like do any long-term thinking, creating. I just was putting out fires all day long. How, how do you balance that? Um, one is to hire people who are good at things you're not good at. So um, I've got the ple pleasure of working with several executives who are better at maintaining um, process and, you know, watching the details and ensuring that we are, you know, spending a little bit less, making a little bit more, or that we catch the areas where we're not, you know, where we're not producing greater efficiency is often, you know, so that is the kiss of death for a media business, I think, is when you miss the thing that's becoming more expensive or lower yield and don't adapt quickly and it, things can move so quickly in media. So like meaning value of a, you know, of an interaction can change values. It can go up or down at very with great volatility. So um, having other people who find that work really compelling um, and who know how to communicate with, with me in a way that, um, that I can apply what I'm useful for, which is usually like fast decision-making on sort of with micro issues where it's like this or this and which is going to develop longer term value. I'm good at the broad, you know, saying like, it's going to be this, but I'm not great at testing my theory <laughs> all the time. So other people are better at proving me wrong and, or supporting, you know, the, 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 the theory. Um, so there's that there's diverse, you know, not surrounding yourself with just people who think like you do. But I have enough of those also so that I have thought partners when I'm, you know, when I'm feeling really creative. The other thing is that I've found that there are a couple hours a day when I'm most creative. And 
it's really consistent. It's weird that it took me so many years to figure this out. It was really during COVID that I got more focused on finding like what I call my bright time, like time where your brain feels really alive and crisp and you know, your creativity is flowing. And, you know, for me, that's like 9 a.m., 8.30 a.m. to about 11, 11.30, and then I can feel it dwindling. And uh, so trying not do menial tasks during that time, I actually try to take that time and use it for the things that require or, va- or where, where, where creativity is, is of, of value or fast thinking is of value and not distracting. Um, and then it's hard because then you're saving mundane tasks that I have trouble focusing on for air- times when I'm lower energy, but it's also I'm not wasting the creative energy. And then I just chug a lot of coffee and get through the spreadsheet or like do the reviews or, you know, answer the emails. So I think that managing the time of day um, and sort of what you apply yourself to can be helpful. Amazing advice. I love that. I, th- I think that's uh there's an article by Paul Graham where he talks about just kind of managing time and making time and making time is usually in three or four hour chunks that you're not, you're not, uh, you know, when you're managing, you can do things in five minute increments, but not when you're making, when you're making, you need like, okay, I gotta like get into the flow and that's going to take 30 minutes. And then I need like two hours to be in flow and then like kind of 30 minutes to come out of flow. So I love that. I think that's very, very smart advice. And you're, we just launched a new brand called Flow, which is funny because it's about sort of women's oh, health yeah. and wellness and kind of giving ourselves space to be in flow until, you know, we say finding flow. Um, and I think that's leverages that point you're making that, you know, we're often managing our time, not just women, but humans. I think women stereotypically can end up in like you know, sandwiched caregiving of elders and uh, youngers at, at our age, uh, my age, and um, that you rarely give yourself the space for flow, flow time, which I, you know, is is a, a type of thinking and existing that I really value. And so you're, uh, Paul Graham, you said, so I'm going to, I'm keeping that, uh, that um, quote here uh, because I get, and I think it is very different time. It's funny that we think of like all hours of the day equally, except for like, you're like, I'm tired now. Instead of like, not in a creative zone, I am in a zone where I should be hugging my dog and just like <laughs> maybe drinking a beer, like, <laughs> not, like relaxing, well, watching TV, yeah. like that's the best use of my time right now. And it's weird to think that we expect all hours and all time to sort of have equal um, opportunity or equal. That's a really good point. Equity. Yeah. It's a stupid thing. I just said equal equity. I equal value. <laughs> No, I, I think that's great. Well, the other the other thing I want to ask, and I I love that. That's something that I'm I'm very into time blocking and trying to figure out like what are those times. And so I love hearing uh, other people going through that same experience. So um, the other thing I wanted to ask about that you kind of touched on: how do you learn to say no? I think uh, in many ways that's that maybe the essence of what you were saying is. You know, you have these things where like, oh, NFTs are so big and Web3 and there's all these things we could do. And I think that's a shift for a lot of people, especially as they get farther into their career is you've now found expertise and and had good experiences. 
and early in your career, you're kind of like, I'll do anything. Like I, I just need to gain experience, say yes to everything. And then there's kind of this like pivot almost to like, now I need to learn to say no. How have you learned that? How have you uh, improved at it? What's been the process? So I'm not, I would not, I think very few people would think I was good at that <laughs> because um, actually when it's things that I'm interested in, I tend to overcommit tremendously to a degree that's like really kind of pathological because I there's a lot of things I'm interested in and life is short and all those and I there's so many things I want to do and people I want to spend time with or content I want to consume or things I want to make but so with that in mind I've tried I, I do get pretty mathematical in some cases like I think it's helpful to have 25 plus years of spreadsheets and powerpoints and whiteboards so that you really can think like I do more and more I, I contemplate okay this thing I want to do is it like I'd like to do it I should do it or it's going to truly yield value like is or truly yield value that has um that is greater than the sum of its parts so it's an investment something I just liked that I like I will have fun which is an investment also but it's fun um or is it like more of a duty or then is it like, I think I get conflated, like going to an event, for example, I, I feel like I should do it, but it's really, no one really cares if I'm there maybe, or it's fine if I'm not there. It's not something I'm like, it's not an organization or a human who I'm greatly committed to. It's like, that's the, that's the stuff that I've finally gotten decent at cutting, but I still have a lot of trouble saying no to things I really want to do. And I guess I just have to continue to be analytical about um, why I want to do the thing, why I think we should explore a certain area. And, you know, my team is sort of good at keeping me in line, but also I think is pretty used to me over committing and thinking that we can get into like, you know, the pets business all of a sudden, or that I can be on 17 calls simultaneously, whatever. So I don't think I'm the best example, but... <laughs> No, I, I love that. I, I love the idea. And I maybe combining something I've been thinking about, it's like kind of as you were saying, over time you get these Excel spreadsheets and whiteboards and you kind of start to build these mental models of analyzing things of like, you know, I constantly, because we own a lot of different brands and uh, we do a lot in the consumer space, people always pitch me ideas. And I kind of have now a model that I didn't have 15, 20 years ago when I first started doing entrepreneurship of like, oh, I kind of run it through this mental model of like, yeah, there's going to be some challenges there down the road and here's why. And this is something you have to think about and not discourage people because right. a lot of people think uh, my ideas weren't good, but yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. And if you have like a, I hate, I don't know why I don't like that word rubric, but I don't. But so if you have a, a model, a mental model, like you said, that is pretty familiar and simple, I do think that will cut out a lot of things that are bad ideas and then force you to really test the things that you that are more complex. I've actually had that's been a great exercise for employees and colleagues is for me to ask them to go through the kind of cost analysis. Sometimes it's because I just don't have the bandwidth to answer at the time and send, you know, and that's and it's a good learning exercise. It's a good learning exercise, but also I'm noticing that I've been compelled to explore things that I wasn't terribly interested in as a function of an employee doing, um, you know, doing, creating a model and a thesis and with supporting data and, and look, doing short-term, long-term impact. Um, and I think that is, that is a really good way to think about decision-making. Some of those models will be doing 
in real time at sort of at super rapid pace, but others are worth the time. I actually just had somebody who I was talking to about a new job opportunity that she's contemplating and exploring and is, you know, maybe a little conflicted. And I was like, you know what I did is I created a spreadsheet when I was thinking about a job change and I put down all the things that I could even potentially care about and sort of scored them with the different things I was, you know, considering the different roles I was considering. I thought about earning, about, you know, the, the title, humans, the size of the company, the people I would be around, the, you know, region or geography. Um, and it, so that's how I ended up at Shino's actually. I was, and I didn't, wasn't the sexiest of the things I was considering at the time, but it really played out in terms of, you know, my scoring. That's so great. And I think that's so often as a CEO, exactly like you said, it's making those quick decisions. Uh, you have all these employees and staff and, and a lot of it is just getting down to kind of that like basic principles or first principles of, well, you know, why do you want this job? What's motivating you? And it's, it's funny how, uh, now I kind of view it through that lens. And I think it's, it's an interesting part of being the CEO because you are that final decision maker. You're that last, like you are the person who makes those final decisions. What, what has been the most difficult part of being a CEO that surprised you? Uh, that you get, you can't, do you often have to make calls that are not going to make you terribly likable or, um, and, uh, it's fun to be liked yeah. and that you're going to make decisions or, or have to, you know, hurt people's feelings, um, or, you know, that you just, you know, a lot of my career was about being liked uh, or popular or making, you know, cause you're marketing new things or selling things or raising money. And when you're running a business, operating a business, there's a lot, it's not as much of a cheerleading job at my, where I, in my seat, uh, it's of a really like tough calls all the time in media. No one's going to have as much stuff as they want or as much opportunity or as much, not as much opportunity individually. I think our, we move very, we have a lot of mobility, but they're not going to have the budget they want to do something. Everyone, you're, you're constantly nipping yeah you're always like nipping at something and sort of figuring out and I, and I think over time I'm less gentle about it probably when it's like you know what you're gonna have to do the same amount of work with less money have at it <laughs> welcome to media and uh that's the part that I, I I guess I didn't think once you have the bank and you own the bank that it's actually much less pleasant because you have you can't blame someone else when you're cutting something it's like, I want to be this profitable because I think it's the right place for us to be. And it's where I've agreed with, you know, my, um, my boss at Penske Media, it's where I've agreed we're going to target. And that's how we're going to get there is we're going to cut this thing, despite the fact that we all love that thing. And um, I can't say it's someone else's like, oh, sorry, it wasn't my call. You have to stand behind the calls, even when they're not really your own, even if you're empowering someone else to make a decision. So I don't like that part. I don't like the part where you have to make unpopular decisions pretty often. Yeah, there's a lot of triage of like, for the the good of the business, sometimes you have to make a decision that has negative impacts on individuals. It's uh, That's been, I think, a huge lesson. It's good to hear other people saying that of exactly what you said at the beginning. People who are amazing, and then all of a sudden it's like, you've been amazing for three years, like incredible employee, 
And then all of a sudden they just can't do it. And it's like, and, and for them, they're like, but I thought I was great. Yeah. Or like, I thought you liked me. Why you like, and like, I do, I don't have room to keep, because I like them though. It just doesn't work for the rest of this model. <laughs> and so I think that's, I think that is, yeah, you got to get used to things like firing people. You have to get used to things like making quant decisions about things that have a lot of personal equity in them. So those are things that I don't, I, I don't love the fact that I've gotten used to that or gotten used to, you know, been, being a little tougher, but I, on, on, you know, the, the tough decisions that upset people. But I also feel like without that, you'd be just like super depressed all the time if you were a CEO <laughs> making choices, you're just like in charge yes. all the time. So yeah. And that point you just made is really poignant or resonant with me that someone who did a great job for you for five years, and then the business doesn't require that skill or that, or you to have someone better, a better skill set available that is the worst, you know, like loyal employee, but yeah. doesn't support the business. And that's when I have to like to have that conversation with myself. I always say this to my employees, but I'm like, first thing has to be, what are the needs of the business? Second is what are the skill set that you need to serve the business? Third is what is the person's want? <laughs> like, who's the, what does the person want and dream and need? And if, for the person, they're going to flip it the other way around. It's going to be the other, it's going to run in the opposite prioritization. And so you're going to be at odds. Like, somebody thinks they deserve a promotion and you're like, I don't know, the money or the role, you know, you've done great, but there isn't an option here. So that's like the least fun part, probably. <laughs> it can be very challenging. Well, what do you do to stay sane in all this craziness? Is there an activity? Is there something you do? What kind of keeps you grounded? I, uh, okay. I love sports, not watch. I like, I don't love watching. I like playing sports. So I, um, I love playing lacrosse with my son. I loved uh, loved coaching lacrosse. I don't where I since COVID I'm I stopped coaching, but I coached for years in Brooklyn and um, love working with kids in any way that I can, like teens in particular. Um, so I I do love coaching sports. <laughs> I love playing tennis. I um, yeah, that's awesome. Really, any sport with a ball. <laughs> surfing. I got into surfing recently. And I that about five years ago got into surfing with my husband and that's a great fun thing but really anything that's like super physically challenging and active yeah we we actually just moved to a new office that's we had we don't have our podcast studio set up like we usually do uh but our new office has racquetball courts randomly uh and it's been so fun <laughs> yeah it's, it's been really awesome good. we have balls and the other we just start throwing around um I mean, I can't throw them at everybody. Some would probably consider that like hostile work environment, but there are certainly people, there are <laughs> people who like throwing balls and like just in the middle of concentrating where we can toss it back and forth. And uh, yeah, I do love that. That's probably my best release is any kind of, yeah, sports, physical activity. Athletic thing. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, time has flown by. Uh, thank you so much for coming and sharing all of your wisdom and experience uh, it's always great learning from other people who uh, have done hard things and, and gone through challenges and are willing to share some of those those lessons. Well, great. Thank you for talking to me. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.